Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Things That Made Me Queer. It's Crystal here, your host, and yeah, I'm glad you're with us. We are halfway through this season, and um, wow, I have loved getting all of your feedback on this season so far. It's been really nice. You seem to be loving the guests and the chats, and that feels great. I'm super proud of the diversity and yeah, different experiences that we've had on the season so far. It's really nice to hear from a whole range of people with a whole different set of queer experiences. And uh, it's something that's really important to me in my guest selection on the podcast, but it's nice that it's resonating with you as well. I'd love to hear if you've got any suggestions for future guests, people you'd like to hear from, different experiences that you'd like to hear from always really open to any of that feedback so please do let me know drop me a dm or send an email it's all in my instagram on my bio uh and speaking of instagram obviously the algorithm hates it when you try and promote something so please do help me spread the word and counteract the algorithm go drop a comment go share a post to to your stories it all really really helps thank you What's going on with me? Well, I don't know about you if you're in the UK, but I am sensing the first touches of spring and oh gosh, is is it making me feel good. Uh, I'm recording this at 5.30pm and it's only just getting dark, which feels miraculous. I don't know, something in the air, it's feeling good, helping me feel a bit spicy. And what else? I'm going to see the Sugar Babes tomorrow night at a very intimate gig, so it doesn't get much queerer than that. They really said gay rights, and oh god, I'm just so excited for the set list. What's it gonna be? Flatline, please. Right, so my guest this week is uh, the incredible and iconic Carrie Colby, who you will be familiar with, no doubt, from Drag Race. She joins me for a really, really fascinating conversation. I had no idea uh, about her backstory, and I don't know, probably some of it was on Drag Race, and I forgot, but wow, she has lived a life. Yeah, she's really been through some stuff, and it's one amazing how much she's willing to share and two how much joy she still has in her heart considering the the way life kind of treated her for the first part of her life so i think it's going to be well i know it's a really interesting conversation because i've already had it but hopefully you're going to like it too this episode does contain some mentions of drug abuse and substance abuse and homelessness and sexual assault so if those are sticky subjects for you just be warned and i also would like to promote carrie's new uh web series carrie cares which is now available on well presents plus um if you enjoy this episode go have a check out of that series because it is equally fab right let's get into this week's episode here is carrie colby hello hi carrie how are you Hello, how are you, Crystal? So excited to be here. Yeah, thank you for being here. Welcome to the things that made me queer. How's it going? Where are you right now? I am here at home and well, today, thankfully, it's sunny Los Angeles, California. 
It, it was kind of mm. raining recently, but I'm glad the sun's back out. Oh, you survived a bit of rain. I mean, actually, you guys had a lot of rain. <laughs> you had some bad rain. I won't make fun of your rain. <laughs> <laughs> this time, I feel like it, it is to be like, damn, the sun came out. That's a good thing. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I'm in like, I'm in London and it is freezing cold and I'm in my closet. So I think you're winning. <laughs> oh my gosh, we got to get you out that closet, baby. Right? I keep trying. I keep trying to break down these walls, but I keep getting dragged back in. Honey, you and Heidi both. <laughs> <laughs> and how's your life? What What have you been up to? Oh my goodness. You know, I feel like every week is just a little bit different, but I'm so excited, you know, to being able just to wake up and like be in my I guess, uh, existence. It's, it's honestly a lot of fun. And I've been really busy, but also like I've had enough time because it is that like winter holiday season that I've been able to kind of just reflect on myself mm. and, and, and have some time at home as well. So it's I've, I've actually had a bit of a work-life balance, which is a good switch. <laughs> you heard it here first. She's just happy to be alive. Right? <laughs> for the simple things. I don't know about you, but I get this every January where I get like... <laughs> crushing existential dread that my career is over because no one wants a drag queen in January. It's like how people get a puppy for Christmas and then give it back. It's like January. It's, I always think, oh my God, what am I doing? But I always just need to remind myself, no, it's a good time to recharge and like exactly. take a break and take stock. So what you're taking stock, what are you, what are you finding out? You know, I think that I've just kind of been plugging back into things that like I enjoy watching. I've, I've been watching a little bit of anime. I always forget his name. Like I, I never pronounce it properly, but the director and guy that did um, Spirited Away. Miyazaki. Miyazaki, yes. Oh my God, obsessed. I love, love, love his work. I just, for some reason, I'm, I'm terrible with his name. But I have been watching a lot of like his movies. And then I also have been like kind of healing my childhood and watching Naruto Shippuden because that was like something I used to like to escape with and watch when I was younger and then I just kind of like been going out I've been going on like some dates since I'm actually Fun. in town so just the personal a little bit of R&R &R. I love that for you I love that what's your favorite Miyazaki movie I was say Moving Castle is a great one personally yeah. I really liked Nausicaa like I related a lot to just like everything that was going on in there. So that was one of the ones that I was like, damn, like this one hits. Yeah. He's so good at just like creating whole worlds that you're just like, I want to go there. Completely. Have you seen Princess Mononoke? That is also one of my all-time favorites. Obsessed. Favorite. Obsessed with Princess Mononoke. I almost feel like Nausicaa turns into Princess Mononoke and then mm. like go, jumps timelines and like she just goes and lives in that world. They're all connected. Hey, if you need another anime movie to watch, this is just popped into my head because I associate them for some reason. I don't know why. It's called Paprika and it's like about this AI generated lady who lives in the internet and you can like access her with dreams and it's it's really camp. Okay, really I definitely, definitely need to see that. This it, it almost gives like ghosts in the shell, but it's kind of that kind of vibe, but it's like a little bit campier and not like not like spy stuff. Okay. I'm excited. I will. I anything that's like animatronic AI diva just living her life. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it just really hits for me. <laughs> I don't, I, that's so funny you say that. I don't see that in you at all. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. I'm glad you're having like a little bit of, a bit of downtime. I've been doing the same. It's just been so nice to like, 
I don't know. I'm not drinking this month. And me either. Oh my gosh. I would. Yeah. For- is this just for the month or are you going to go for it full time? What are you thinking? For me personally, I'm doing a 90 day challenge mm-hmm. just because it's like, it's kind of embarrassing, but I guess it's just the truth. I feel like I don't, didn't really know myself, know myself in the sense of like, I've always kind of been going through something. So um, now that I'm in a place where it's kind of like more building versus like surviving um, being my life go-tos, I've just been like, kind of like sitting there thinking and contemplating when I, when I'm in my alone time, which is often because I, I do like my alone time now. And I'm like, who am I? Like, am I comfortable with myself? I don't. And then I'd be like, oh my God, I don't even know who, who I am like sober. So it kind of pushed me to do this, um, 90 day challenge. So I just, I cut out my flowers. I cut out weed and I cut out drinking, which is funny. Cause in my show, I talk a lot about enjoying both of those, <laughs> but you know, I feel like that's, it's kind of like that shedding phase, you know, letting go of something old to find something new and it could be a forever journey or it could just be like a really great learning lesson right now. That's so interesting that you say that because I've been feeling kind of the same way. Like I just spent so much of December drinking, like but just between like socializing and Christmas parties, but also all the gigs. And I don't know if it's the same for you, but like we're always performing. There's always bars. There's always free booze. People are pushing it at you. Literally. Yeah, I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've performed in drag sober and it's just like this is not sustainable i need to figure out how to do this as a like without drinking and yeah i'm interested i'm excited to see how it goes (laughs) honestly i love that for you because i'm pretty much in the same place where it's like number one i was very distracted um and i was feeling like almost like i because normally i'm somewhat sober at home And when I, when I'd go out to like events or anything, like the first thing I'd be doing is running to a bar and then it would be like, oh my God, I need two shots plus a cocktail. And I'm not really that person. Mm -hmm. So like it ultimately kind of made me feel bad. Like when I would look back the next day, be like, why did I do that? Like, that's not, that's not really me. And I'm like, you know, why am I so uncomfortable? But ultimately too, I think that, you know, it also has made me ask the question of like, if something gives me that much anxiety and I'm that uncomfortable being around people because like their energy just seems off that I have to be fucked up to feel okay around them. Why am I there? Hmm. You know? And it, I think we don't ask ourselves that enough. Like, and that's the thing when it was work, I could be like, no, I'm Red Bulls. Thank you. You know, no, 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 no. I, I'm serious. I don't want that shot. You know, like you can, you can get through it, but when it's like self-induced, like, you know, excess of uh, drinking or whatever it might be, it's kind of like, okay, well, if something's making me feel the need to do this, then why am I here? And Mm -hmm. ultimately, like, you know, is it really benefiting anyone? Because it's definitely hurting me internally. Definitely. Oh, I relate to that so hard. And yeah, I think for me, it definitely comes down as well to, to social anxiety. Ultimately, like, if I'm with good friends, it's totally fine. But like, I don't know if I'm in a dressing room and I don't know any of the queens that are back there. Like, I'm going to have a couple drinks just to make myself feel more at ease. And like, I'm a I'm a grown person. I don't I don't need to be doing that. And like, who am I trying to impress? And like, right. at what cost? It It's just it's just so silly. Like, as if I can't just be myself in a dressing room at this point in my career. 
Right. Because there, there always can be those like little weird nuances of people's energy. But it's like mm-hmm. ultimately because we are booked, busy and paid, you, you just kind of focus on like, you know, what you're there to do. And I'll be honest too, performing sober, I have really loved actually seeing a lot of my stuff back because I, I've noticed like, you know, is the anxiety still there? Sometimes, definitely, especially if it's like a song that I haven't done often, but it's cleaner. I can see that my eyes aren't hazed over. I can see that I'm not stumbling on stage or my mm-hmm. footing is like wobbly. All the things that I can tell get impaired when I'm drinking, I don't notice those now. And I'm like, okay, so this is actually like in terms of, you know, beyond drag, but just like a performing arts perspective of like what you're doing. It's just so much cleaner and crisper, which I feel like is is the case. Like imagine we were ballerinas doing ballet. <laughs> would 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 us doing ballet look better drunk or would it look better sober? Because we're kind of rehearsing and putting intention the same way into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, if I ever perform aerial circus, I can't drink beforehand. And I definitely notice that exact same thing where it's like, oh, I'm actually like, I feel much more connected and much more present. And I'm not yeah. hiding behind anything. And I think also like, you're able to learn from being on stage when you're sober versus if you're a bit messed up, it's like, you're not actually taking anything on to the next show or, or like, learning any lessons. One million. It goes from getting through it to getting into it. Mm, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, go us. I'm proud of us. <laughs> Look at us being progressive girls. <laughs> oh, sober queens. Yeah. Carrie, should we get into your list? Let's get into the list of my life. Let's do it. So you know how this show works. Every week, my guest brings a person, a place, a film or TV series, some music, and a wild card that helped them understand embrace or otherwise accept their queerness and you have sent me your list and i'm so ready let's do it up first we've got your album or song and i love this you've just said all the gay bops yeah i mean all the gay bops it does take some faggotry (laughs) (laughs) it does i feel like early on for me i a lot of my escape and a lot of my happy place um, I found really did honestly come from me hearing my fantasy, you know, I think, uh-huh. uh, or I, I guess I call it my trantasy, but every <laughs> everything that people see really came from me being stimulated in different senses to feel authentic because I wasn't really raised to be authentically myself. Mm -hmm. And I always was looking for escapes. I was like told, no, you're going to do things this way. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. You're going to listen to this. You're going to do that. And you're going to do so because thus saith the Lord. And I would just like sit there to myself and be like, ew, like this is not, this is not me. Like I don't see me. I don't, I don't taste me. I don't hear me. I don't feel me. Mm -hmm. And I, I just don't reflect me whatsoever. So part of my like escape really started when I would, and it'd be kind of complicated because I definitely couldn't be playing my, my songs on my TV and I couldn't get this, the CD albums and play my favorite track on repeat. So basically what I would do is I would go over to like my friends' houses that they didn't have a strict rules. And I'd like, Oh my God, you know, like what's, what's hot, what's going on? Like what, what just came out through that? I would start to find, and it was always girls. It was always through the gaze of my girls. So I would like find out about like, you know, when the pussycat dolls came out, I 
would, oh my God, you can't tell me that Buttons didn't just like bring me <laughs> a good dose of musical estrogen. <laughs> um, you know, like it just, it would just give it to me. And then like, you know, this is also like Britney Spears, like a good stronger, a yeah. little uh, piece of me. I remember piece of me, some Ever Levine girlfriend, like just all those hyper feminine songs that like really would just make me feel connected to this like feminine motherboard, I guess you could call it. <laughs> like the, to, to go back to the anime circuit life, it would literally... I would really feel like I would find and tap into this universe of a sound that felt very authentic to me internally. And um, obviously like that developed over time. And, you know, the more and more that I uh, would, you know, try to find artists and, and get into things. And I was very behind. Like I was, I, I would say I was probably like 10 to 12 years behind in taste compared to other people. I think the only thing I remember when she was coming out, like, I was on her like when it was happening was like Lady Gaga and Nicki Minaj that era mm -hmm. that that one I was present for and I would just be like this one is for the boys with the boom and I'm like it would just <laughs> give it to me and and oh my god a disco stick what is that give it to me like it was, I was living <laughs> she, I was she's been living. getting it ever since been getting it ever since so that's so interesting I so you're saying that like this really commercial chart music that was like everywhere was actually kind of underground for you. It was so underground for me because you have to understand I was raised Pentecostal. Uh-huh. Talk to me about that. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? Yes. So Pentecostalism is like a very strict, just nuanced version of Christianity. It's almost like take Christianity, a little bit of Amishness and like a touch of a cult classic. And, you know, the good old uh, trend of just repressing women and desexualizing everyone. So everyone mm -hmm. just feels like a walking sack of potatoes mm. and then put a cross on it. So that was kind of like what it would give. And so, like, I didn't even have a TV, a television at all in my house until we were like until I was like eight years old. Wow. No, like literally it, it's funny because like now trying to explain like this sounds absurd, but there really is a reality out there of people who like. You know, I didn't have cable. I didn't have VH1. Thankfully, I was born in the 90s. So this is like before YouTube. This is before iPods. And my parents policed everything that like I watched because God forbid I'd be tainted by this world and end up being a sexual, secular pop superstar drag queen one day. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, God forbid. It just goes to show you can only keep things locked in the closet for so long and the longer you keep them in there the bigger the monsters that's gonna come out and that is the best description of Heidi I've ever heard <laughs> <laughs> no but it really is true like you you can't you can't force program somebody to be completely unanatomic like you can't force your will on somebody to make them like what you like and to make them listen to what you want them to listen to if anything it's gonna make that person absolutely hate everything that gets pushed to mm. them because it's going to feel completely unnatural. So um, mm. that really was what it was like. So I would have to like sneak things and find things. How old were you when you started to realize that like you were missing out on a, on something and that you really needed to know what that thing was that you were missing out on? Pretty early. 
so it was funny. Like my parents, when I tell you, they tried to really keep me completely away from it. They did because the church we went to had a private school. Um, it wasn't like a bougie, really nice one. It was literally like a school made. So everyone that went to that church would never have any experience of anything outside of the church. So think, think more like Mormon church school for like never breathing again. Yeah. It wasn't quite, you know, it was was Pentecostal, so it wasn't really Mormon, but it was very that. So it wasn't like a cushy, you know, bougie private school where everyone's pulling up in a, in a brand new Mercedes or BMW. (laughs) It was more or less like it was a place where the church got to basically push their agenda that they'd push on Sunday and Wednesday every day of the week and all the activities, everything we did was all together. And there was like a uniform where all the girls had to look super, you know, kind of churchy. And the boys literally looked like they were going to church every day of the week. So I didn't get to see a lot of normal people until like, I would say like fifth grade, sixth grade year. And that's when I started to realize like, oh, what is this big yellow bus picking people up that isn't going to my school? Wow. And why do these kids look so different from me? So we're talking like 10, 11, 12, that kind of age. Yes. The age, I feel like that's the age of realization. You realize that like, you know, mommy's Gerber baby food is just not cutting it for you anymore. And uh-huh. you, and you start to develop your own taste. You, you like mac and cheese or whatever. I mean, me, I was raised... <laughs> Only to eat like organic grass grown weird stuff. But you start to have like a sense of taste, a sense of style, a sense of individuality. And as I was finding that, I was learning like internally, why do I feel so weird, literally weird every time that I hear, because it's, you know, in this, in this way of coming up, it's very programmed. You are this, we are that you would, we would have to chant and recite Bible verses every morning. We would learn like a new chapter from the Bible for our weekly or monthly activity. So it was constantly pushed this idea to like conform and fit in and, and, and be consumed by this evangelical message. And I would always be like, that's great and all, but like, isn't there something else more fun or more gorgeous out there? Cause this just <laughs> seems very monotonous. Uh huh it was kind of giving very handmaid's tale. So imagine being like a kid in the handmaid's tale. And then you see an outside element from like the world outside of your, your immediate structure. It kind of breaks you because you Mm -hmm. see these kids, they have little, little short shorts on. They got their, my little pony backpack. They've got their hair spiked, you know, Pentecostals and the girls are not really allowed to cut their hair. There's no makeup. You can't really like, you're not supposed to do anything that reflects vanity. Right. So then imagine seeing all these little girls that like are influenced by like, you know, Britney Spears and Miley Cyrus. They're getting out of a car and just like bopping around singing these songs. And me, I'm just like, what is this? You know? And I was, I was just obsessed. I was like, I love this. I didn't even know people could look like this. But they still have like, you know, they're still told to have manners, but like they look so much more authentic, unique and happy. And I just mm. feel like like a, a, a freaking cult clone. Oh, baby, that sounds rough. I'm sorry. It was definitely I, you never realize how rough it is until you get out of it. So like yeah. me looking back now, I'm like, oh, my God, you poor child. But in the in that time, 
I just felt like I was missing out on one big party. And that's, you know, me feeling like that got me in a lot of trouble because I would always try to, to chase and find more about that life. And obviously that was not the life that I was uh, told was acceptable. Mm. I mean, that's also the age that kids tend to start realizing that they're different in terms of being queer or Mm -hmm. not cis or, not straight like was that also happening at the same time yeah i mean it was very interesting because it 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 was very much like kind of up in smoke i think nobody ever would have been shocked to find out i was queer i only hung out with the girls i would literally be the only boy who was allowed to have sounds so cursed to say but i mean I, i was a boy at the time so whatever i was the only like you know child who was allowed to literally have sleepovers with all the girls and like, because, you know, it's it's a church mm-hmm. setting. So normally you'd be like, oh, no, you cannot let young Sir Frederick hang out and spend the night with Sophie and Caitlin. Are you kidding me? And then for me, everyone would be like, oh, well, yeah, it's it's them. You know, it's, it's that one. They're fine. Let, right. let them let them go stay the night. And so it was already like very apparent. Like I only really gravitated to women. And just, I loved feminine energy. And I, I always was very effeminate and very sweet, very inquisitive, very curious, but always like walking around with a severely 90 degree angle wrist. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I guess, resembled in terms of my energy. I forget the character's name, but um, from the Big Bang Theory. Sh- Sheldon? Sheldon! Yes. I don't know where I got that from. I've never seen Thank that show. You. <laughs> well, the, the, the divine feminine gods gave it to you. I was very much Sheldon. And you know, like okay. you, you would never be shocked to find out Sheldon was a certain way. Because right. Sheldon was like, let me tell you how it is. Like just constantly. And that was like me growing up. So um, when it came to like playing house or playing hide and seek, it was no surprise. I was always a female character you could not tell me i was not a female character and because all my friends were girls and they would look at me you know from a very early age and be like you know we're all girls here we're all like you know just between us girls and then they look at me and kind of laugh and be like it's okay you definitely you know fit in too and this was way before i understood so in my head, I was one of the girls. And then yeah. as you start to come into like my, my dad specifically hated this. So he would try to like make me play sports and get me into like trying to play football or baseball and basketball. And I hated all of it because it just wasn't for me. I wasn't a more aggressive type of person. Athletic I was, I guess a little bit, but it was not for me. And I really noticed it took a nosedive <laughs> when I when I was like, oh, we want to play sports? Okay, give me a volleyball. Give me some pom-poms. I love <laughs> sports. And I never had such a red ass from getting spanked oh. than those times. And so I, I started to notice very quickly the way that I identified. And like one of my biggest escapes too at the time was like, um, I don't know how, but I was allowed to play The Sims. And baby, when I tell you I projected my trans, my trans <laughs> fantasy through the Sims, I was downloading every uh, online mo- modification. The computer was covered in fucking viruses. But I had, I, I was literally, it's funny because, you know, 12 and 11 and 10 year old me was literally building 
current me now, but with bigger boobs. (laughs) But like every single time it was a like very long leg, small, tiny woman with really long hair. She was constantly, you know, changing her makeup, changing her outfits. She was getting in like, because I, I took the, uh, the the mods seriously. So I was like getting in my penthouse, leaving with my dog, getting in a Ferrari, going to a mall. <laughs> like you could really live a life on The Sims. And when I tell you I was living it, and then there was a point in time, like I think I found out about the Kardashians. <laughs> and I like turned everything that I ever played into like I was calling every character Kimberly or Kylie everyone was okay and that's kind of like where i came up with carrie too oh my gosh to to think back to all this but uh yeah like i was always projecting hyper femininity and then like i feel like when my parents would finally figure out why i was spending 11 hours on the computer playing video games and they saw what i was doing oh my gosh it hell broke loose really of course even a video game Oh, 1 million percent because my my dad, like I said, he was always very disconnected from me because I immediately was so feminine. And yeah. He, he's ex-military. He's the person of color in my family. So as like a strong black man, he was like so disgusted at the fact that I was like, quote unquote, weak and like feminine. It was just very like a letdown for him. So anytime that he would see that I was like fully just going going rogue and being like a super feminine fembot it would just make him very um dissatisfied and my mother also when she realized that it wasn't like a christian soft heart uh because she told herself i was just a very soft person yeah i was just so soft and so so affected by heavenly things when she realized that it wasn't that and that i was also projecting my femininity Oh my gosh, the narrative switched really quick from being like, let the kid have fun to like, you're never leaving the house. (laughs) Mm. Mm. And even like I used to draw, like I made like paper dolls. I would draw and draw and draw and draw. And same thing. These like, you know, I I didn't really know Victoria's Secret fashion show, but like every time we'd go to the mall, I'd see the store and Adriana Lima had me in a chokehold. Oh, I see that for you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she had me she had me in a choke i remember i got spanked and my ear pulled one time because i literally stopped in the mall in the middle of the of the floor everyone was walking and i just stopped and was looking in there and my mom i guess thought that i was like looking at all the bras and panties and no they had a, a ad for holiday i think it was 2005 and adriana lima was the cover girl for their holiday campaign and i was just smitten because she looked like exactly pretty much like my internalized fantasy. I was like, oh my God, that's that girl that I see in my head when I go to bed. I, I never knew she was here. Look at her. She's on TV and in a bra and panty. She looks so good. And I started like drawing girls that look like that over and over and over again. And um, I remember my mom one time, she burned all of my sketchbooks because uh, and like ripped them up and threw them away. And like made me write Bible verses instead because she's like, if you want to have an idle hand and a and a pen, I'm gonna give you some verses to to live. Oh, by. honey, it was that. It was that. <laughs> wow. I mean, seeing Adrenalina, did you ever have that moment where you were unsure? Uh, am I attracted to this person, or do I want to be them, or was it just always super clear to you that like that is who I want to be when I grow up? 
You know, and this is so interesting because like on social media, I've kind of talked about being, I wouldn't say I'm fully, fully just a bisexual person, but I do have like a slight hetero flexibility where there are certain times that like women are just so overwhelmingly attractive, you know, in themselves and confident, but also there's a a part of that that is attractive to me. And I I haven't done much exploring on that. I had one girlfriend when I was 12 and it was traumatizing. So I was like, never again. (laughs) Because that was a very uncomfortable lesbian relationship. Sure. (laughs) Um, Especially because my girlfriend did not know she was in one. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Tale as old as time. Tale as old as time. Um, So... I, I, I don't know if I really knew. There was definitely, there was just pure infatuation. Mm. I, it, it was to a point that I wasn't breaking it down to a binary. I was just consumed, utterly yeah. consumed. Like you can burn a finger or you can put, you can soak someone in gasoline and light a match. I was soaked in gasoline and someone lit a match because you suppress every thought of sexuality. You suppress every thought of sexual expression and freedom and identity and not even to a point of sex, just sexual, you know, a crop top or, you know, a nice hairdo or a gorgeous look. Like all of that was so suppressed that I was just consumed. So there was a part of me, you could not tell me. And obviously this is prepubescent, so I didn't have like a beard um, at the time. So you could not tell me that I was not Adriana Lima because I saw her and she looked correct in my mind to like this feminine fantasy of a figure that I was so convinced that I was that person, you know, internally, I always said that I had like my imaginary best friends and they kind of like lived with me in my head, if you will, because I didn't have relatives and, you know, my time around friends was somewhat limited, especially when my parents, my parents found out I was just going to people's house and breaking the rules. So I literally like created these alternate universes with these alternate um, identities. And you could not tell me that that Adriana Lima character and fantasy was not me. I was fully convinced. I was stomping around my house. I mean, you couldn't tell me that now. I, I believe it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you. Well, it's, it's definitely the goal now. I think it's, it's helped shape the goal. I definitely, you know, I don't know about Victoria's Secret, but I'm here to uh, walk in some runways and put me in some Jean provocateur, bitch, and I'll do it. Uh-huh. But, you know, I, I was fully convinced that that was me. And obviously this is like prepubescent. This is pre, you know, sexual education. So I didn't know that like my body was necessarily different. I just saw what I liked. And because I saw it, I identified with it. So, you know, I'd be like stomping around, acting a fool. I didn't have like a phone to research or anything. So I was like, I'm Miss Victoria's Secret. <laughs> I am her. My name is Victoria. (laughs) I would like make like these fake little silly wings out of like scrap clothing or stuff. And I'd be just strutting around. And obviously, like I would usually do this, like, again, when my parents were gone or when, you know, I was in places where I knew I wouldn't, you know, be punished because it was the only time I feel like I felt pure, 100 percent raw joy. And Mm -hmm. Aside from that, I felt pure 100% oppression and so and depression, which is crazy to experience depression as a child because you don't really know why you feel bad, but you know you feel bad because you don't feel authentic or comfortable. Yeah. Is it possible that there's like 
there was a kind of hidden advantage to all of this that because you were your parents were so desexualized you weren't there was never any expectation for you to be straight either because that almost wasn't an option for you either and you could almost I know it, like it sounds like it was completely all down to you but like you were making the possibilities for yourself that is so interesting I've never thought of it that way because just you, what you were saying that like you hadn't gone through puberty yet and you thought you know I'm gonna grow up and I'm gonna be Adriana Lima like your parents didn't give you any sex education I no no I mean they would tell me like yeah, they would tell me I was a boy, but there, you know, sex is just like illegal in the church, you know? So it's mm -hmm. like, you, you don't have sex until you're married at all, ever. You don't even talk about it. You don't think about it. They don't educate you how to even like, you know, have sex with someone. I would mm -hmm. literally like <laughs> those few moments with my girlfriend were very awkward because I had no idea, like even kissing. I was like, my, my parents never expressed PDA. Like I never saw love growing up. I never saw attraction to your partner growing up, even a healthy amount of it. Like I never saw any of it. So I was honestly raised like borderline asexual, but I felt so liberated in very sexual circumstances like Victoria's Secret. You know, mm -hmm. it's a very sexy thing. I didn't look at it as sex. I looked at it as freedom and liberty yeah. and hotness for all. <laughs> so I was living and you know what I honestly can tell you since you broke it down that way I think you're fully correct I think you're onto something because everything was so repressed in a way it also was a freedom it was a freedom because it gave me permission to really fuel any fantasy that came to my head whether I knew exactly what I was doing at the time or not. Mm. That's why it was never, a, a, you know, when I was told I was born a, a boy, it was very confusing for a, a while because I had programmed myself internally to not just feel, because I didn't know what gay was. I didn't even know men could like men. I didn't know boys could like boys. We're talking Dallas, Texas, early mm -hmm. 2000s. Absolutely mm -hmm. not. So for me, I was already programming myself to identify very female and not emulating female, but truly learning how female uh, people behave, think, talk, act, respond. Anytime I would have conversations, you know, even with adults, um, it was always the ladies sharing their perspectives on their relationships or dating or you know, everything was a thousand percent through the female gaze to the point that like I don't really, understand much about the male psyche and I never did because I was so already like assimilated into a feminine lifestyle which like made me a very obscure person as a boy but in terms now looking back I think it did make it very easy for me to be like, duh, of course I'm a woman. Just, you know, it, it, snap and click your heels because you already have been doing this your whole life. So it's like, even though I didn't get to grow up fully liberated, in a way I did because I was doing all the liberating of myself in private or with friends that supported me. You know, all my girlfriends yeah. from, from a young childhood, we all would, pl would play Barbies and play girls and, and play dress up and play uh superheroes and, and play all these things and they never 
ever told me, oh, no, you have to be a boy. You can't mm. you can't be a girl. They would be right there with me like, yes, you better slay Storm. <laughs> like, you, you better do it. You know, Lilo and Stitch, baby, you couldn't tell me I wasn't a uh, nanny. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, every now and then the girls would like have their jokes and they'd be like, no, you're pleakly. <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but oh, but it sounds so it sounds super mean. <laughs> oh my god, you've never seen Lilo and Stitch? I don't think so. You have to see Lilo and Stitch <laughs> from Disney. So Pleakley was an alien. Um, for lack of a better word, they cross dressed. Like it was obviously oh. like, it was played by a male character that was very feminine, and it was like an it was very Roger the Alien from American yeah. Dad. Yeah. Similar, similar idea, but more for kids and more um, flamboyant. Yeah. So Pleakley was like this crazy fun alien that came to Earth on this mission to capture the, the aliens. But while Pleakley was here, Pleakley was in full drag. I mean, half <laughs> of the episodes, Pleakley has lipstick, you know, a different wig every day, a good dress. She was out there seducing the men. Like, Pleakley was a full on, like early representation of like a trans woman or a drag queen a bit exploitive but yeah. it, was, it was all in, in fun so it sounds like she could have been someone else's adriana lima she probably was <laughs> I, I, I guarantee you that there are definitely some people who felt like their life changed watching uh i feel like pleakley was caitlin jenner's adriana lima uh <laughs> okay i'm it all makes sense it now. all makes sense Just i gotcha Playing gotcha. play dress up and, and changing their identity. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing all of that about your childhood. It's like, what a crazy thing that you've been through. And I cannot, it's amazing how much humor and heart and like vivaciousness, I don't know, that, yes. that you have as a person, despite all of that. Let's move on to your next item. Yes, I we unpacked that item, uh -huh. baby. <laughs> yeah, welcome to therapy. Surprise! Right? <laughs> hey everybody, I'm Dave Holmes. And I'm Matt McConkey. And we are the hosts of Homophilia, the podcast where we talk to awesome LGBTQ plus people about the pop culture that they are consuming and loving and the love lives that they are leading. The conversations that we wish we had had access to when we were growing up. The, the conversations that we would like to eavesdrop on now. But we have them with the coolest people in the world. Like who, Matt? Sir Andy Cohen himself. What? Michael Patrick King, Tig Notaro, Alan Cumming, Jinx Monsoon, and Vendela Creme. Countless queens from the Drag Race universe. We're asking all of them about the pop culture milestones that shaped them as queer people. And more importantly, who they're having sex with. There you go. It's the queer conversation they don't want you to have. We're having it on Homophilia every week on the World of Wonder Network. Tune in. Listen to Homophilia on the WOW Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. In a world full of straight people, aren't you glad there's WOW Presents Plus, the number one place in the world to see Drag Race? Subscribe to WOW Presents Plus. Still only $4.99. Subscribe today as streamed on TV.
up next, we've got your place. And you said it all kind of happened at once on Cedar Springs. Cedar Springs Avenue. So I don't know if you've been to Texas on like a... Ne- never. Never. So Dallas is very homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> Dallas specifically, like downtown Dallas is. Now, obviously it is the South and obviously there is like a weird conditioning element to the city. But there are a whole lot of gays. I think like the first queer, all like all queer based church actually is in Dallas. It's like a 40 year old um, establishment. And of course, you know, leave it to the South to make queer, (laughs) which I have a lot of opinions on that in and of itself. But um, they, they, there still was like a sense of culture and queer culture there. Obviously not to get into too much, but like I was kicked out of my house at 15 and I went straight out into the streets basically. And I went to the gayborhood because at that point I knew like the gays were in Dallas on Cedar Springs and Oakland. So like I knew that to be me and, you know, I'm, I was put out into the, into the world. So might as well. Um, I went there and it was a lot because like, it was very much dealing with like homelessness as a youth dealing with being biracial in a Southern city. And, you know, back now we're in like the mid two thousands, like 2010, not 10, like uh, 12 through 15. So like people were just like, comfortable with their traditions but obviously things were being challenged but i was not the normal stereotypical type for people so um it was a little weird but i did make friends they weren't really great friends but they were friends nonetheless and so like a lot of my first experiences like my first gay club my first dance my first kiss um first sexual experiences a lot of it all happened at the bar. And I was, uh, just to uh, put a disclaimer out there, I was severely underage, obviously. Mm. I got me a a good little fake ID and I was running through, running rampant, looking crazy because I was tiny. I think I've I've been my height for a while. I've been 5'11 for a good amount of time. But at that point in time, I was under 120 pounds. So I was like tiny, Mm. just a long bean running around screaming, homosexuality you know (laughs) it was it was definitely um a vibe i found a lot of my sense of identity and a lot of my sense of self in that time when i when i was living in dallas that was where a lot of my firsts happened and it, it really was like a very small town big town feel where it's like everyone knows your name Mm-mm. I learned that it wasn't, it was kind of like I learned what I didn't want for myself because it was right. so repetitive. And I, I ultimately moved to um, LA at 18. How were you surviving at that time? You know, were, were you in shelters, like couch, on couches? I was on couches. I didn't really know about shelters. I didn't have proper resources. I didn't really know. Um, I had a grinder, unfortunately. It, it was actually kind of a dark time because I didn't know I was so innocent and I was so Mm. naive. So I would assume that like, you know, if said gay person was like, Oh, you're so cute. You're so sweet. What are you doing out here? You look so young. Me being like, Oh, they're just being nice. This is the community I've heard about. This is the, you know, we all look out for each other that I've heard about, you know, gays, we look out for each other. We, we take care of each other. I was told this like, you know, 
before I got out there. You know, the gay community, it's like a big family. Everyone loves each other. Mm. I had that conception in my head that that's what it was. And unfortunately, I did not know about the reality of expectations when it came to being helped as a younger queer person. So there was a lot of dark, traumatic moments in those years too. Like there was a lot of like finding myself and going out, but some of that going out was an escape because um, there was a lot of instances of, of you know, I didn't, uh, yeah, I was couch surfing, but like it's because so-and-so said like, hey, I'll take care of you. You look amazing. Mm. What's your story? Oh, is that your story? Yeah, you have a place here with me. It's all going to be okay. You know, to then getting sexually taken advantage of a lot. And I think me being grown now looking at it, I'm like, well, you know, of course that happened because look at the scenario, look at the setup. That's terrible. But, you know, what would you have expected as an underage young person that's homeless just going up to these random grown men that are in their 40s and 50s? Like, did, you know, duh, they're obviously not going to have just pure innocent intentions. But at the time, I did not know that. And obviously, these people were not disclosing their intentions with me at the time. That was a time also where I learned about the dark side of humanity and how people will say one thing because they want something unspoken and unachievable. Like you can't, like taking somebody's innocence is not something that anyone should have access to. But there are people who will pursue that and manipulate young people who are at a disadvantaged position they will take advantage of you and fully like blatantly do it with no consciousness because at that time they knew that I was a homeless kid with no family. So like, it's not like mom and dad are going to come after them for, for taking advantage of me. So that was a big learning experience. And there were a lot of very miraculous um, moments. Like there was a guy who at this point there was social media and I wasn't like famous or anything whatsoever, but I had, I had a few followers and apparently I was at a, bu- a bus stop, a train stop with all my stuff and like the space bags, the vacuum seal bags. And they saw me and they recognized me and they were like, you know, what's going on? What, what is this? And at that point I had already been through the manipulation and the taking advantage. So I was very standoffish. Like, what do you want? Why mm-hmm. are you here? What, what are you trying to do? I, I, I don't, every time I go to someone's house, they take advantage of me and kick me out the next day saying that I was like a dirty person, you know, because they didn't want the guilt of knowing what they did to me to haunt them. And they oh. were just like, you know, disassociate. So I was very like jaded. And this person um, literally was a guardian angel and was like, no, I actually have been in your shoes. I was kicked out by my family. I was homeless. I didn't have any resources. And I've followed you for a while. I've always appreciated who you are. I think you're amazing. So if I can help, I would like to help. If I can do something, I would like to do something. And literally, that was the first time I was shown unwarranted compassion and kindness. And I actually met like a real guardian angel in that time. And they kind of kept me you know, safe for at least like another year and a half, two years. So that way I I could become at least an adult that's working and and responsible and and doing what I need to do and not being stressed out by 
my literal day-to-day existence. And so I, I got very, 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 very blessed and fortunate. But I think because of that situation, it always pushes me to have that sense of empathy and kindness for others. Because if that person wouldn't have gone out of their way and made that decision to take me into their home, I would have been a terrible statistic, whether it was on mm. drugs, completely in the system of, of sexual abuse and trafficking, because that is such a reality. I didn't even know, but it's such a reality or, you know, just drug addicted or, you know, a lot of it, it saved a lot of trauma. So for me, it's like I always try to pay that forward. Oh, honey. Wow. What a story. Heavy. Um, I know it's a little it's heavy. Not, it's, it's not heavy. It's just, I, I mean, I'm just sitting here in awe of you and like the, the power that you have to talk about that time with joy as much as it is like a traumatic time as well. I just, it's, it's so unfair that you were thrust into that world and then you'd also had zero preparedness for it because no. your parents obviously d- didn't tell you anything about the world. So you yeah. went from like, one bad situation to another and you were unprepared for both zero to a hundred real quick. But I mean, I can't say that I am not thankful for each opera, each circumstance and opportunity. Cause I, it taught me things, even the things mm-hmm. that were negative, they taught me very core lessons and values. And they taught me a real sense of morality and a real sense of accountability that I have with myself. Um, that like, you know, being raised so Christian, maybe I wouldn't have appreciated, uh, an idea of, you know, having a moral compass. And I would have been like, you know, riot against the system. Fuck it all. Fuck everyone. I'm gonna just live my life and, and piss on everything. And because of things kind of traumatizing me, it really broke my potential ego mm. in the moment that it would have been able to grow. I learned a lot about giving back and, and being more involved. And ultimately, like I said, there I was one of many, many people in that situation. It is unfortunately such a common occurrence, especially in the South, in America, especially in more conservative places. You know, it's like, don't kill your kid, but don't harbor all that sin in your home. So kick them out. Yeah, just break them. Try and break them. Break them and then desert them because you know, they're, they're not fixable, they're damaged goods. So I think that going through that in my, myself, it really helped me have a voice and give a potential opportunity to people. And even like, like right now we're having what I like to call my Michelle Visage moment, because with her, when we were talking for what you pack in, they don't get a, a, a handbook of like mm. everything that you've been through as a child. So this is why this this is contestant number four. Here's their profile. You know, they, they're there to do a job. They're there to, to, to make a TV show and, and to judge it at face value. So me opening up to her and sharing this with her, it actually really brought us so much closer together. And, and many people I share my story with, I think it just gives them a real sense of compassion and, and empathy and motivation to continue to do the work that we're doing to make people be have an avenue to be more authentic well thank you for sharing it with me yes of course i think maybe this is going to segue us on to your next item actually which is your person and and you said sasha colby what's funny is i part of when i was living with the 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 guy that like saved me Mm. um that was when i first got introduced to cable television (laughs) at least to my own terms where I could turn on a TV and I could watch whatever I wanted. Uh And part of what we were watching at the time was 
you RuPaul's Drag Race season five. RuPaul's okay. Drag Race season five. And to me, that is forever my favorite season. That is, in my opinion, I'm sorry. I know people may not agree, but it is the best <laughs> season to me. It was all these like true celebrity drag queens of their of the era. It just it was the first time I saw like uber feminine energy celebrated. And I saw people, you know, that was my first time seeing people dress up and transform themselves into someone else and into something else, something that was beautiful that they identified that gave them confidence. And even watching Jinx's journey where it was very much kind of like the underdog's journey of getting bullied, getting doubted, getting made fun of, but believing in oneself and pushing, pushing, pushing and delivering some amazing just impromptu comedy throughout it. Yeah. It was just, it was mind boggling. And obviously after that, I started getting really immersed in queer culture. I started going on YouTube and looking up drag queens. And I didn't know much about trans at the time. Like I did not know the word. I didn't know the term, but I knew that there were in the queer community, there were people who were much more feminine presenting than others. And they even had breasts and they had bodies and they had, I was just like, wow, what is this? It's, Mm -hmm. it's not the same as drag, but it's still a queer performing art and it's gorgeous. And I started to like look into Continental. I binged watched the other seasons of Drag Race, four, three, two, and one, you know, and it just really began my curiosity and my inquisitivity towards the queer lifestyle, not just gay, but specifically queer, specifically the artistic expression on the queer spectrum too. And Sasha does not remember this because she was in her own world. Uh, She was in Texas for a Continental prelim. And I didn't know much about Continental, but I did notice that like it was, I knew at that point that there were trans women and there were drag queens. Uh And I was at a bar. I was, oh my God, probably like 16 years old. I was young. And I saw all these trans women. And, you know, if you know a, a, a Continental or trans pageant, it is to the nines crystals Mm -hmm. from head to toe lashes double stacked lots of hair lots of lips lots of face lots of titties lots of ass you know and it's like that's not padding baby that's the girls Uh i was i don't think i've ever had a moment where i almost fell off of a balcony because i was just so mind boggled and i just saw these fantasies quite honestly that reminded me of the characters that i created when playing the sims you know it, yeah. it, it reminded me of these people that i would create in my identity because i i kind of separated my trans journey and suppressed it for a while because i had to focus on so many other things outside of my 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 authentic femininity so but i loved seeing it and seeing it made me inexplicably curious to know more and to be like what is this what is this what are y'all doing i love it i love it love it love it And at the end of that night, I happened to catch a glimpse of Sasha. And this was back when she was like blonde, balayage. And it was after the show. And she was just decompressing, chilling, talking to her her team. And she's flipping her head in a figure eight and just swinging it. (laughs) Just, you know, when you're after a show. Yeah, but it's like after a show, you're chilling, nothing big. You're like, woo, let's just have a good time. And I was smitten by this person because she embodied you know, to what all I knew at the time, Beyonce, you know, I I was like, wow, this is a real superstar, her hair, gorgeous body, perfect. And it wasn't so overdone. It wasn't like a caricature. It was just very much giving, giving her greatness. 
So I like literally ran across the street into oncoming traffic, did not care. And I literally like ran and jumped at, at her. And she was like, oh, oh my God. And I was like, I just have to tell you, I love you. Like I, I never do this. I never jump in and, 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 and tell people these things, but I'm obsessed with you. What is your name? And she's like, oh, I'm Sasha. And I didn't realize I had watched her perform on YouTube before meeting her. Cause in her YouTube Constantial, she had dark hair. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Sasha, oh my God, Sasha. And I was like, oh, like, do you have a last name? Like, who are you? Just obsessed, but like manically, frantically, like running up with someone obsessed. She's like, yeah, Sasha Colby. Literally that like ingrained in my brain. I never forgot it. And that was the end of our moment. And of course, that's why like, it's not something that stands out to her at the time because it was a random like 16 year old kid that like jumped at her at the end of a show <laughs> and was like, Oh my God. Wow. I'm obsessed with you. But for me, mm-hmm. it was everything. That was a core memory and a core moment. And then fast forward a few years, I moved to LA and then she also moved to LA around the same time we start seeing each other. And I very quickly put two and two. I'm like, oh, that's that lady. That's Sasha. Oh my God. That's her. Like, she probably has no idea that she's like that I've met her before, but like that's her. And at that point I was, I looked completely different. Cause like 16 to 19, I had like my little, uh, I, I was trying to go for like an Arabian nights type look. I had my little lineup going on. My hair was all crazy. And so it was a whole different look. But one thing that it sparked in me from that time is that I would do I started doing drag. I consider it cross-dressing because it was not drag, but uh-huh. it was putting on a lash, putting on a little makeup, putting on a little glossy lip. And I I did go get a human hair wig. It was, it was a blend, a synthetic human blend because <laughs> I, I needed to be able to curl it and I needed to be able to brush through it. I had to feel real, you know? And oh, for like sure. A, a little, little nasty BCB, uh, BCBG dress. And I got me some little stripper heels and I would go out. And that was like, I felt the most free. And truly I was like starting to come into my identity. That was, I felt like myself really for the first time when I would do that. And I never performed, never had the confidence to do it because I was very nervous, but I just loved being out and being my female self, you know, cause I started that for Halloween and it was all because of drag race. It was all because of being inspired from seeing people live their authentic, crazy, fun, cuckoo self. And it was like, I was like, oh my God, if they can do it, I can do it. And is that how you, that's when you, that's the first time you started to explore your gender identity? Absolutely. In- and I don't think I knew it at the time. Cause to me, I wasn't thinking about this as gender and I'm changing it. To me, it was like, I'm exploring my happiness. I'm exploring my happy place. And I feel unequivocally happier when I'm dressed up like this. One million percent. So I carried that into LA. I would do a little bit of, a little bit of dressing here and there dressing, no salad. Um, (laughs) 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 Just a little bit of dressing, no salad. Ranch. ranch, honey, thousand islands. And Sasha started to recognize me specifically when I'd be in face. Because to me, I look like a hot mess, but apparently she saw something gorgeous and she liked it. So she actually came up to me when we were in LA and she's like, you know, hey, who are you? You're, you're pretty. What's up? What's, what's going on? Do you have a house? Do you have a mother? What's your name? 
and all those questions. And I would just answer, answer. And in my head, I'm like, this is the girl. And in her head, she's like scouting for daughters. And I'm seeing this beautiful creature in front of me with this crazy breastplate. (laughs) Just (laughs) giving it, honey, giving it to the children on on a happy little Friday night for no reason. And, um, from there, like we actually exchanged information and she's like, I'm Sasha Colby. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm familiar with you. And she's like, well, you know, your name's Carrie. And I was like, yeah, she was like, no house. And I was like, no, she goes, okay, perfect. You're Carrie Colby. And I like fell to the floor Wow. <laughs> in that moment. That was when I started to really feel valid in pursuing my journey as an entity and as a person and as, you know, the identity that now became Carrie Colby. And, um, I started going out more and eventually I started, you know, actually getting on stage and performing and pushing myself. Um, and a lot of that came from, I I do have brothers and one of them ended up passing away that shook my world. And I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't super close to him cause I never even met him for the first time until I was 12. Cause he grew up with, uh, we have different, um, moms. So he grew up completely away from me, but we met for the first time when I was 12 and developed a relationship because he was, my mom had two sons and my dad had one son. Well, my dad's son, Joey was the only mixed race. Mm-hmm. So being, you know, mixed myself, I saw more of myself in Joey and I was like, I wanted to be just like him. I wanted to look like him. He was so cool. He was also ex-military. He was a Marine and um, he was just so like everything that I think any man would ever want to be in terms of how he presented himself. And he also knew, he always knew I was very, he, he was always like, you're such a pretty version of me. He knew I was queer from the jump and never talked about it really. Never, like judged me for it. Now looking back, I was like, I was actually seen. He saw me. So when he passed away, it shook me. And I was like, wow, we don't have as much time as we think. We don't have, you know, tomorrow. We don't have next week. We don't have next year in the way that we would think. Maybe we do, but this is a very telltale sign that maybe we really don't. And I was like, so if I passed away and I got to replay my life, in this moment, would I actually be proud of myself? Would I feel like I'm actually achieving or accomplishing anything that's authentic to me? Because, you know, with him passing away so suddenly and like here today, gone the next day out of the blue. And, um, to give a little context, he, he, um, unfortunately didn't see the light in living. So he, he didn't Mm. necessarily commit like a direct suicide, but he definitely set himself up to end up dying. Like literally Mm. he, he went through like a very depressive batch and he was doing huffing, Mm -hmm. which is like, um, the can inhaling the spray spray inhalant. He would do so much of it. And he deliberately did it to a point that he like lost. I never saw him in this state. Thank God, because I don't think I would have been able to process it wasn't eating because on his autopsy, he was severely malnourished and severely dehydrated. So I guess he wasn't eating, wasn't drinking for a few days. And I guess his body was so weak from what I uh, was told by my dad that his kidneys literally collapsed on themselves and he died on the spot. Mm. So in a way, it kind of was a suicide, even though it wasn't a direct immediate, it was like, having no will to live so deliberately setting yourself up 
to, to not be here. And I was like, you know, I never want to look back and feel disappointed in myself because I'm not being authentic. And that's when I started my journey to, I started doing drag more often. I started actually doing shows like 20, 2019 started doing shows for the first time, like really actually kind of putting myself into it, you know, coming back to that dream of like drag race that like inspired me and brought me into my femininity. Maybe that would be for me. Maybe I should go on. Maybe I would like that. And then the pandemic happened and I auditioned for season 13. I didn't get on season 13. Thank God, because I had just started my, at that point I was like more non-binary but I mm-hmm. knew I was leaning definitely towards pursuing being trans. I was just terrified to do it because in my head, I was like, it's a, it's a no going back decision, you yeah. know, like th- it's this or nothing. So I was nervous and I was very uncomfortable. So I didn't get on 13. I was very discouraged. I was like, I am never going to take no for an answer again. I am getting on the next season. It's going to happen. And it's not going to happen because I want it to happen. It's going to happen because I'm going to completely commit and dedicate myself over the next 365 days to be 100% not only myself, but that bitch. That was like my whole mm-hmm. my whole branding. And the pandemic happened because that was like the end of 2019, early 2020. Pandemic happened. And when we got locked away, I went through it all over again. I was like, I can't live like this. I can't live teetering and tottering and maybe one day, yeah, maybe I'm a little bit trans, LOL. Not really. I can't do it. I'm just going to do drag. I'm going to be, you know, gorgeous boy, try to be gorgeous boy and try to be gorgeous girl. That's going to be my brand. I'm going to do that. That's what I want to do. And um, it didn't land and it was driving me crazy. So being locked away by myself, everything shut down, you know, during that time, especially in LA, like, because LA is a more conservative city so they shut it down yeah yeah, yeah. there was no bars there was no parties there was nothing there was no restaurants for a good half of the year there was nothing and being at home by myself and that's why i say like la veneno changed my life i made the decision to start hormones but i was very very reluctant and someone put me on to la veneno the hbo max series and her story is a lot it's very tragic but it's very real And so watching her story broke me. Also Pose, you know, these shows were like very fresh at that time and it completely broke me. Like I'm not a big crier. There were times I would stay up through the night bawling my eyes out because I related to Veneno specifically, her story so similar. So there's a lot of parallels in our in our universes about family acceptance and being put out and finding yourself and being unapologetic, but also being very lost and mm-hmm. kind of empty, um, but filling that with joy, unexplicable, unmatched joy, joy because I'm no longer being oppressed like I was when I was a child. And there's a lot to learn from her too because a lot of Christina Veneno's decisions were kind of um, so based in like unliving the trauma that she kind of created a lot of her own problems. So that was big for me too. Like seeing almost like a blueprint of don't get too caught up in yourself, but definitely live your truth. Because if you're too caught up, you become part of the problem too. You become part of your own problem. And I don't know if you're familiar with Christina's story, but it is very tragic. And same thing, she kind of ended up 
pushing herself to a brink of um, not being alive anymore because she didn't take care of herself. And she kind of let herself fall down the drain because she lost hope in who she was Mm -hmm. because she had built everything up on appearance and um, adoration and attention. And so as she got older and those childish desires, you know, they don't become reality when you, when you mature, um, she couldn't keep up with it. So it was too much for her and it, it, it took her out. So seeing and experiencing all of that was absolutely mind shattering for me. And it really shaped who I am and made me determined to be myself, but also be conscious. And I think that's stuck with me ever since. You know, you're not the first person I've heard who's talked about how the pandemic made them stop, take a look in the mirror and be like, hmm, there's something about myself that I'm not facing and that I need to deal with and I need to, I need to push forward. And I don't want, you know, I don't want my life to look like this when we come out the other side. So I'm, I'm glad there like were positives in that for you. And, you know, seeing you live authentically now, it's obvious. It's obvious this was meant to happen for you. I, I believe, I very much believe, like I said, nothing happens for an accident. Fate and destiny are so real and I think I promised myself that I was going to give my life over because I, I I tell people this all the time. I look at my life as borrowed, not owned. Mm-hmm. I don't own my experiences. They're not just mine. Um, so if I can share those and hopefully help people, you know, I, I gave my life over. You know, they always talk about giving your life to Christ. Well, I use that same ideology, but I gave myself to destiny, the destiny of this world of situations of things. I said, you know, universe, if you can help me find love in myself and live authentically. And, you know, I don't know because we didn't know what was going to happen in the pandemic. I don't know if my dreams will ever come true, but I'm going to give myself a hundred percent over to destiny and I'm going to be a mouthpiece and a, a body and a soul to carry out fate and destiny for myself, but also hopefully use what I've gone through to benefit and help others. And I just, I release, Mm -hmm. I release and I go with the flow. I'm not going to try to force my own narrative like I used to anymore. When I did that, everything changed. And honestly, all of my dreams, all of my childhood dreams and all my things that I always wanted, everything that I always was like, I would love to be this one day, you know, from, you know, looking at Victoria's Secret models, like, you know, now I do get to do modeling stuff. And I also get to share my story and share my voice from, you know, uh, fashion and just being able to live authentically, like my trans self, where I really can kind of, I I am my own sim. I've created my own sim. I wake up, I choose what I want to do with my day, how I want to be that way, and how I can hopefully help other people through those decisions. And it's so liberating. And if I wouldn't have surrendered to destiny, I never would have been, I, I, I would never have found these realities that I desired so deeply. I mean, watching you on Drag Race, you came in so confident and self-assured and I would have had no idea that that was a person who was not that long into their trans journey or, you know, it's it's amazing. I had I had no idea that it was so recent in the past. When we were filming, I think I was at, Cause I was counting. I think I was, cause it, you know, it's like a, a couple months potentially that you're filming yeah. and we 
after the quarantine thing. So I went from being 16 to 17 months in my transition. That's wow. Wow. When we were filming. Yeah. Cause uh, the trans day of, of visibility, uh, March 30th is my anniversary. Cause that was the first day I was like, I'm taking the shot. I'm announcing to the public that I'm going to live myself, going to be true to who I am. And like I said, for me, it was a no going back. It was a like, if you make this decision, this is it. This is literally it. So I came out kind of with a bang, very public, um, 2020, March 30th. And um, I'm almost at three years now. And it's just been, I couldn't even begin to fathom that this was going to be my journey, but it's been so just breathtaking. How does it feel having done drag and then coming out as trans and then, you know, living as a woman and and then getting this huge drag platform? You know, how do you square those two realities and personas and a stage persona versus day to day carry? Like, how does that how does that work for you? This is something I have been working on. I think my my own internal thing beyond drag race, beyond drag. This that question is what I've been working on for the past good year and a half. After we filmed is when I really was like, okay, I need to start sorting things out. And that's where I, you know, I, I pursued getting my name affirmation and all that type of stuff uh, changed over my gender markers, all those things because it's very important and it is a process. Mm-hmm. I was motivated to do that because I was like, I don't identify with my dead name, but I also don't think it's healthy for me to only relate my transition to the character that is Carrie because Carrie was there. She's been there all along. You know, like I said, when I'd play pretend and my imaginary friends, the, the person and the, the visual, when I close my eyes and I, I see Carrie, and even when I like get into drag and I do my makeup and I look in the mirror and I see Carrie, it's the same person. And she's very much the reason that I went through the journey of finding myself as a woman, but also she is very much the drag aspect too. you know, learning makeup, learning stage presence, all those things that was all for Carrie. That was Carrie and Carrie. That's kind of Carrie's story. My own personal journey is parallel, but I look at Carrie as being an era, you know, she's like, I always joke around. It's like, it's my, it's my 10 year era, you know, from like my, my twenties into my thirties professionally, all that, that's Carrie, you know, whether it's drag, whether it's television, whether it's media, like the face of who I am that I go out there with the person, the persona that I put on that is Carrie, but my true day-to-day womanhood and my intimate woman experience, I can't say that that's Carrie. It gives very Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus. Mm. And so I had to give that person a name because I didn't, relate at all to the, the trauma and all of the just ugh that came with my my birth given name because it carried the story of all the things that I you know really regretted you know you, mm-hmm. you don't get to choose your name so like my 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 given name well at first you don't get to choose your name so my given name represented a lot of the bondage and depression and all of that oppression that I felt growing up and I couldn't unsee it like just seeing it on paper would make me sick honestly. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? Let's find out how to keep it authentic. I'm not going to go with some, you know, Chloe or or Kelsey or or 
you know, Shanice or something crazy. Like I wanted it to sound very much like my birth given name, but like, imagine if I got to choose my own name. Mm-hmm. I did some research. I looked up Latin meanings. I looked up um, Hebrew meanings. Cause like my original name, it's originally Elisha, which is like a prophet from the Bible and it's Hebrew. It has a translation that it means gift of God. Like the name Elisha means gift of God. And there's like a whole story with him where he was like a double portion prophet and all this stuff, which is good, cool, great stuff. So I applied that same amount of like looking and learning into things. And since it was Hebrew, I was like, well, I, I'd like to keep that going. And I started looking at names similar and I found Elise and I found it spelled with an I. And I was like, cause I was like, you know, E-L-I, E-L-I, it's very similar. And then I was like, but you know what? I want a, I want a letter to deliberately throw off my name to spark the change subconsciously for me. You know, yeah, it might have been E-L-I and all that for the beginning of my life and most of my life. Now it's E-L-Y. And mm-hmm. that for me, it's not a huge thing for I think a lot of people, but for me, it's huge. The almost permission that it, I gave myself in changing my name to Elise. And so and I didn't change my last name because I wanted to I, I wanted to keep my initial identity, but I gave myself a middle name that like just made me feel so confident and beautiful. And so Elise Alessandra is like, it just flows. And when I hear that name, it gives me tingles because it feels like someone I can't wait to grow into. And Mm. so if Carrie is an era, Elise is the novel. She's the lifetime. Mm. Carrie is a few chapters, maybe even an entire series. But Elise is the overall story arc. Carrie's the persona and Elise is the person. Absolutely. And growing into like my, you know, more mature age, God, I always say God willing. And I'm like, oh, not God, but <laughs> universe willing, um, my, my Southern conditioning. Um, but if the universe is willing, you know, growing into my older age, I can't wait to grow into Elise. I feel like Elise is something I can grow into. I can be in my 40s and my 50s and my 60s and 70s and be like, my name is Elise. Me saying my name is Carrie just doesn't sound correct for those, for that era. And I think it's something that, like I said, I'm able to grow into one and kind of grow out of the other and still very much thoroughly enjoy both. That's nice. It sounds like it's a real like comfortable blend between off and on stage i often find that with drag i'm i find it kind of jarring like you said that hannah montana feeling of like i've got these two totally different personas and how Mm -hmm. do i how do i find like some way to mesh those two things and it's a real struggle because i fully identify as a as a man like it's Mm -hmm. it's definitely like there's a split persona for me right I, i i hate it i hate that feeling of like i've got two halves and finding, yeah. figuring out that way to like blend them. And it sounds like you've managed to do that. And it's, that's wonderful. It's all about either. I feel like for some people, you know, cause drag is not really binary, you know, it, it, for some people it can be for me, it was a gateway, but for some people that's not necessarily how it is. So either having that very clear distinction between like, you know, I'm this person in my everyday life and I am very much not that person. I am this person when the lights and camera and action is on. Or just finding a way to kind of like mesh the two for, 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 for oneself that feels comfortable and authentic. It takes some work. I mean, it took me years 
to be comfortable. Cause if you would have asked me like two years ago or even right after drag race, you know, are you going to change your name and are you going to legally pursue something? like, yeah, it's going to be Carrie. I'm going to be Carrie Colby forever. And then I started to realize in my own internal self, I'm like, that's not healthy. And yeah. that also for, for me, it's not healthy. And also for me, it's, it's disillusioning because it, it Carrie carries so much information and weight beyond the simple fact that I am a woman. So I had to sit down and, and think and plan and, and ask myself, I went back and forth for a long time, about a year and a half. And I came to the realization of Elise more, more recently. And, and it, it just, it, it changed my life and almost made me feel free. You know, mm-hmm. Harry made me feel free for a long time, but then I almost felt like I was in the a prison of only being Carrie, never being able to escape Carrie, you know, and that means everything that comes before my transition and after. And Elise just made me feel like I had a freedom to actually have my own identity. Yeah. And a a safe space just for you, something that isn't for public consumption, but is just, well, or it can be, but it's, it's, it's personally yours and it's not owned by a TV show or what people think of you or 100% 100% like the name on the lease of a car is not Carrie Colby because it's not Carrie Colby's car it's Elise's car mm-hmm. and on occasion Carrie gets to drive it yeah um, and even dating like it helps me number one I don't need to immediately go into dating with people knowing all my business so I don't like to date and just be like straight up Carrie Colby and if they google that they're gonna see all this information that mm-hmm. like maybe they haven't had a chance to unpack but with Elise it becomes, I mean, technically they can find on stuff on that too, if they want to, but at least it puts things a lot more on my terms. Yeah. Um, and also like, if I am going to date someone, they're not dating Carrie, they're dating Elise, they're dating who I am day to day. And on occasion they'll get the personality. Mm-hmm. So I just think all around, it was very important for me to create that separation. So that way I could breathe. I love that. Okay. We've got to move on to your last item and i think we're kind of talking about it right now but uh yeah. your last item is your wild card and you've just said giving yourself the time to explore yourself and and to say yes yes and i think that's where we got to with this podcast it's just been so nice to hear your journey thank you it's been a journey <laughs> <laughs> um so 100 my wild card is something that i think in the trans community and even outside of being trans it gets overlooked so many times. People are in such a rush, especially now. I think post pandemic, everyone's like, I had a year stolen from me. So I'm in a rush to get there. I need to really step it up and really get to that goal of mine that I had for me being 30 or 40 or 50 or 20 or whatever, whatever our little benchmarks we give ourselves. And I think for me, I found the most joy, the most validation and the most light in learning to slow down and take the time to break it down, to not be in a rush and to really just give myself permission to be in the moment. Because I think so many times we don't do that. We get put in a frenzy of keeping up with the status quo and going and going and going and doing and doing and doing. And, you know, you're not doing enough. You need to do more. You're not meeting your expectation. You got to work harder. But also part of that work is taking the time to stop, reflect, and see where you are. Enjoy your own self. Ask yourself if what you're doing is authentic to you. 
And if you're constantly moving, you're not doing, you're not going to have the time to do that. So I think that's my wild card because part of why I feel like I am so confident and comfortable now, quote unquote, is because I have told myself, this is not a rush. Like even something as simple right now, like I'm going through this thing where I, I would like to eventually get like my boobs done because, you know, I like what I have. Sure. I'm not mad at it, but as a full grown woman, I have an expectation on myself of what that looks like. It's not going to be jugs, but it's going (laughs) to be like a fully developed, like, you know, gorgeous breast. And is that where I am right now? No. But am I going to sit here and be like, fuck it all. I hate my life. I hate my existence because I don't have a good, gorgeous, like size full C rack. Like, you know, and I know a lot of trans girls specifically, they go through this. They, they want to see a result. They want to see something. So they're living in misery until they get that done. And the thing Mm -hmm. is they're missing the point. Once they get it done, they're onto another thing and they're still miserable. A lot of them in their head because they're not taking the time to fall in love with who they are in the process. This is a journey. It's not a snap one, two. I'm, I'm a woman for you. It is a journey of really almost relearning my childhood, relearning my adolescence, relearning my life, and then reprogramming that to work for my destiny and my future. And you have to take the time to do that. And if you do take the time and break it down, it's a wild card for anyone because you're going to, you're going to be able to do a lot more, a lot more efficiently, and you're going to be a lot clearer in your headspace than if you just rush. Such good advice. Ah, thank you so much, Carrie. Am I right that you have a new series out with World of Wonder where you give this amazing advice away? So I feel like we gave like a a very detailed two hour version of pretty much (laughs) what I I did on Carrie Cares. We, We had eight episodes. They're literally based from my fan base, from the community to the community. So instead of it being me just like talking about things I like and things I want and things I feel... I actually built an entire um, show around getting information from video submissions, cards, writing in back to the big pink furry box for DragCon um, LA. We had like this big box and it was like, if you ever want to see Carrie on a television, wink, wink, honk, honk, what are things you want to see? Write, write ideas, write questions, give her your unhinged advice. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't really take it seriously. Like they did. Definitely. We got a lot of cards. But people are like, oh, yeah, right. She's not going to use these. And anyone who watches Carrie Cares, if they wrote questions, they're literally going to see, like, potentially their own question airing or, like, a a combination of a question they asked um, worded from, like, 100 people asking the same thing um, delivered. And even, like, the video submissions, you know, it's it's an opportunity for people to have their moment on, on a show and we get to interact with each other and I get to give real time, feedback, and advice. And I think with Carrie Cares, what makes me so happy about it is it's a timeless project. It doesn't only apply to like right now or, you know, season 14. It's it's one of those things where if you've ever had a question in your life and you've wanted a different outlook or perspective on how to do it, and you think that I'm good at giving advice, or maybe I've I've learned a a little bit in the life that I've lived, you're going to get a unique outlook and a unique answer to everything. The only thing that is consistent throughout Carrie Cares episodes is me saying that therapy is so needed, so necessary, and so helpful. 
Um, mm. I, I say that I think in every single episode, cause I want to really hound that into people's heads. There's no shame in, in, in mental help and there's no shame in pursuing, you know, getting someone to, to listen and talk to you. That isn't your friend. That isn't your parent. That isn't your loved one because they can only do so much. You do need a professional person to really help and break down, especially after going through the pandemic. And if, especially if you're queer, trans, anything, even if you're like a minority, all of those things, there's unbagged trauma that we don't know how to process. And our friend, God bless their soul over cocktails, is not going to know how to properly process. <laughs> Are you sure? I, I bet you the money on it, honey. I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> it'll, make better, it'll definitely make you feel better in the moment. But actually having a trained professional who's dedicated college learned life goal is to help you live a more effective, efficient, and clear and conscious life, you're going to get a much different outlook. And therapists aren't there to beat you up. They're there to build you and to help you turn your constructive mayhem into constructive blueprint and constructive action plan. Because mm -hmm. we always have constructive thoughts, but then we don't know how to organize them and they just kind of go up in the air and down on the ground and wherever they go. Um, but therapy, I think, is just so needed in today's day and age. And it really is a way for you to get a perspective that's all packaged and catered to you just so it can help you do you better. It upgrades. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, I can't wait to watch your whole series and hear what other pearls of wisdom you have to offer. There's a few up in there. There's a lot of, uh -huh. there's a lot of games and it's also very real. Even on episode two, um, we get to like a little bit of the trigger warning. Some of the stuff we talked about today here with like my upbringing and trauma of not being able to be trans. And we also get the beautiful flip side of that where someone who does have support, what that looks like, what that feels like. And I think just having such a fun, they're pretty short. They're like anywhere between seven to 10 minutes. And then one of them is 16 minutes. Um, so they're easy little bites, nuggets that you can take away. And I think the funnest thing about it is um, with my friends that have seen it with me, I did like a little viewing party. They were like, it's so beautiful and fun, but it also leaves you wanting more because everything you're saying is like a hundred percent helpful to whoever just wants to know a little bit more about something or more about you. It's, it's very insightful. And so it's like, you just want more of that because again, it's not selfish, it's selfless. And, um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So let me know what you think of it. I will, of course. Thank you so much for sharing all of those wonderful stories. It's just been really inspiring hearing the shit you've overcome and seeing like how incredible it has made you as a person. It's really, Thank really you. special. Thank you for, for all your vulnerability and honesty and, and sharing all of that. Baby, thank you so much. Sending you all the love and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, thank you, Crystal. Have a good one. You yeah. too. Bye. Hit us. Thank you so much. That is it for this week's episode of The Things That Made Me Queer. I am your host, Crystal. Thank you to Carrie Colby for that wonderful conversation. And it is now your turn to help help your girl out and go give me some love on the social media share a post to your stories, tweet about the series, anything that you can do. It would make me super happy. Thank you so much. 
see you next week. The Things That Made Me Queer is a World of Wonder production. Our theme song is something like Summer by Caveboy. <laughs> <laughs>